Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Green's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well being. And on today's episode, I am speaking with UK based esthetician, author, and all things skincare expert, Abigail James. I'm so excited to speak with her. Abigail, welcome. Uh, I am so pleased to be here. Well, I want to hear more about your story and uh, your journey into skincare and just learn more about you uh, in general. So why don't we kick off the episode uh, with with allowing you to, to share your journey into the beauty industry and more specifically skincare. You know, how, how did you become an esthetician? It's actually not a very simple story. So I started life in the food industry which was my family's business. And I was told that I had to go into that business. But I suffered with postnatal depression um, after having my first child. And I couldn't really go back to the career that I had. And I wanted to do something that just felt more more in tune with me. And I had a friend at the time who was a beauty therapist and she would come round and she'd do treatments on me. And I just loved what she did. And I know I benefit from that, not just visually, but emotionally as well. So at the age of about 25, I took myself to night school, two nights a week for two years while being a a young mum to get my MVQ2 in beauty therapy. And I just found, I felt like I'd found my calling and, you know, opening up a Pandora's box of, oh my goodness, this is. Just such amazing stuff. And then throughout my career, I'm now 48. I've continued to learn different therapies and things because when you're dealing with the body, there's just so much to learn. So I've gone down routes of learning a lot about the body and working holistically with that. I've trained as a yogi, but I don't teach yoga. I definitely can't touch my toes anymore. But I, you know, the, so the journey hasn't been a simple one. It's been quite multifaceted, but that was my stepping into the industry. Okay. And I can imagine having all those different avenues and areas that's probably influenced how you approach beauty and skincare now, because it, from what I understand, you have a fairly holistic point of view on skincare. Yeah. Well, Interestingly, um, you know, with the the family side of being raised in a foodie family and things like my grandparents on my father's side, uh, my grandparents, they were vegetarian, even kind of post-war. So that was that was just not heard of back then. Everything my you know, they consumed, it was homegrown, it was home baked. My nan was gluten-free from way back when. She was making her own yogurts. They had bees. So they were considered quite kooky. And I recall as a young child, if we went and stayed with those grandparents, we'd go on like a car journey for half an hour to go and find, I suppose, what we would now class as like a Whole Foods kind of place, but it would like a quirky, vegetarian, weird place. So we had that influence. Um, it's very different influence on my mother's side. You know, the microwave had just been invented. So, you know, we had this real juxtaposition of influence. So then when I stepped into 
the therapist training, I actually wanted to become an osteopath. But because I'd found myself as, you know, a young adult stepping into this kind of things, and I found myself as a single mum on benefits, I couldn't A, afford to go back to university for three years to become an osteopath. So I went down another avenue and learned sports injury, massage, and lots of other things. And very early on in my career, particularly when it comes to skincare, I remember, you know, I'd be working in a local salon and as a beauty therapist, you have to work with the skincare brands that the salon stocks. And I would physically see client skin in front of me negatively react to the products I was having to use on them. So it sent me down a rabbit hole of, oh my goodness, what what actually is in these products? Because you kind of learn what you do at college and you you do what you're told to do. But very early on, I got geeky about the ingredients. What, you know, I have this responsibility. These these people are trusting me with what I'm applying to their faces. And I remember there's a very well-known large French skincare brand. I will not share the name. And I was on their training. And I'm, I mean, the trainer must have been so annoyed with me because I was going, oh, what's this ingredient? And what does that do? And what's this? And she very clearly said, we know that's in the ingredients. We don't offer that knowledge to our customers. That was such a switch off shift very early on in my career. And I went down a route of, I only want to use organic and natural. And I trained as a Dr. Hauschka esthetician, which back then, there was only like two or three organic or natural ranges way back when. And Hauschka back then was probably one of the most pioneering. And their training was just next level. And so that kind of set my career up slightly differently from the get-go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then I want to know how you got to where you are now, because you are such this famed expert, you're an author, people adore your work. And I can imagine that just came with years and years and years of hard work. But what set you on this path to be kind of to become almost like this public figure of skincare, right? Yeah, good question, actually. I mean, my kids find this hilarious. My youngest is turning 18 next week. And, you know, I've been called things like the queen of skin and so I've got magic hands. And But, you know, to my kids, I'm just like mum winging it. It's interesting because when I set out early in my career to be the best I could be, and that is one thing that I learned from my father, whatever you're doing, be the best you can be. And that's where I got super geeky into, okay, if I'm going to be a beauty therapist or a practitioner, learn, keep learning, keep filling your mind with knowledge and be the best you can be. And if that's the case, you're going to naturally draw clients or people that resonate with you trying to be the best you can be. Because as a therapist, it's not just me being the best, it's then me being the best for someone else, that person on my treatment bed. And when I I suppose stepped into the world of becoming a facialist. I know in the in the US there's a little bit more the word esthetician. And back then it was facialist. That word didn't even exist. We were all beauty therapists, and there was just a few of us that just kind of stepped 
left out from the others as this is our speciality, this is our passion, this this is what we're doing. And I think maybe the passion that comes through and the geekiness and the maybe that resonated with clients and some of the press in a way that you know might not have done with someone else. But I the older I've got and as I've gone through my career, I feel I have always wanted to go above and beyond for my client. And then I used that with my social media to try and go above and beyond. But now I'm training practitioners. I want to share all of this with other practitioners to help them with their skill set, that physical skill set, which I'm training practitioners at the moment in rejuvology, but also with their business skills and everything else. So I just feel a bit of a calling to be the best I can be to be able to help others. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, I'm, I'm sure your clients can feel that. I, cause whenever I have a really, really good treatment, you can feel the passion almost coming through somebody's hands. You know, the hands are so powerful and you can almost feel, feel the intention behind them. That's really interesting because one of the things I actually have said for years is that I listen with my hands. And it's that feedback you get from the customer. And it's a two-way thing. You know, we're all made up of energy. Whether you believe in that or not, there is a two-way kind of thing. And I I feel so privileged that a t- potentially a total stranger might have heard of me on social media. They're trusting to walk into a treatment room. They're sharing some of their personal health things with me and they're trusting me to touch their face that I don't know many jobs where you're in such a privileged position to do that and you wouldn't go up to someone on the high street or and touch someone's face or even a friend you might kind of hug but to actually embrace someone's face I've always felt that privilege and I've never underestimated that And that's something that I'm now mentoring these practitioners, listening with your hands, go above and beyond. I think that makes a lot of sense. And just even from my own personal experience, I do feel like that intention sets certain people apart Um, because I do, I'm somebody who like believes in energy. So (laughs) I'm somebody who very much is a part of that, you know, energy feedback. But the next question I want to ask you is, what is your beauty philosophy? It's probably not what you'd expect it to be as someone who has spent most of their career making or helping others look beautiful. However, my philosophy, and maybe this is another reason why, you know, people have resonated with me, is a a reality check of beauty to me is a feeling. You know, beauty is, it's not about what we might class as aesthetically beautiful. And this is another aspect of how I approach what I put out there on social, everything else, is that reality and confidence that is real beauty. So I kind of, I say, we can choose to be happy, to be grumpy. You know, I could show up here and be like real grumpy and then like, and that would be a choice for me to do that. 
So if we can choose those things, surely we can choose to feel beautiful. So that's how I approach beauty. It's the cliche that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So I have the choice to behold myself as beautiful. But I also know that that's easier said than done. Because I am someone who suffered with eating disorders in my past and just not felt that confidence with how I appear externally. And I speak openly about that because I know there are hundreds of thousands of people around the world who also feel that and kind of had someone who has a little bit of a profile. I never want anybody to feel excluded or or inferior or not good enough, whether that's from a knowledge or a visible point of view. So that's, I know that's not a simple answer of what I feel beauty is, but giving some context to, to what I, I really feel quite strongly about. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great answer because it's a complex question. And so I think it makes sense that the answer would also be complex. Just to piggyback off of that, um, I want to ask about your well-being philosophy because you seem like somebody who is also deeply rooted in health and wellness in general. And I do think that a, a well-being philosophy influences and informs how we take care of ourselves and our skin. So do you have a well-being philosophy that you kind of live by? Yeah, I absolutely do. And it's definitely morphed and changed over the years. So I was the sporty kid at school. I was the one that could sprint. Actually, this is right. I'm going to go off at a slight tangent because, you know, kind of we, I was that kid that could sprint. I had all the 100 and 200 meter records within my little school. And then suddenly as you become an adult, it's like, no, 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 we don't do sprinting anymore. It's like, when did that? And suddenly we're supposed to be doing the 5K or the marathon. My body doesn't like that. It never did like that. I, I don't know. I feel like I need to, I want to start a movement of um, let's not marathon, let's sprint train again. I just, you know, there needs to be that kind of conversation because I almost feel guilty as an adult. Oh my goodness, I'm not, I'm not marathon running. Anyway, so. I was that person that was sporty at school. I used to love, back in the day, uh, an aerobics class. What were the step classes? I was obsessed with step classes. And I would do classes on a regular basis. I also used to spend way too many hours dancing in nightclubs and in the middle of fields, way back in the 90s. But fitness was always part of, of me. And then adult life and things come along and mental health issues, physical issues. I've suffered with gut problems all of my life and mental health issues. So you have to learn that your body and mind changes and throughout your life it needs different things. I would still love now to be able to go and do some boxing classes. If I did that, I'd probably be in bed for the rest of the week because my body now really struggles with that. I did my yoga teacher training in my 30s. I loved it. I, I would crave a yoga class. I'm hypermobile. I think maybe because I did that, 
to the extent I did. And I can't do it. <laughs> you know, I would love to be able to continue that. So well-being and wellness to me, I think is also having the ability to morph what that is and not beat yourself up emotionally about that. One of the biggies that I've learned is well-being it is physical. It is what we're eating. You know, my history of coming from my upbringing with the nutrition and food side of things, and then the physical side of things, and then stepping into the mental health things. I know from personal experience, when your mental health fails, nothing else matters. So to me, well-being starts between the ears. Yeah. I mean, you hit it on the nail on the head. That's exactly what it is. It's, you know, if you do not have your mental health as a priority, you're not going to be able to do the other things. You know, it all starts with your mindset and it all starts with how you prioritize your emotional and your mental health. It's shocking how many times we get into this conversation on this podcast, because I think the two skincare and mental health are just like so intrinsically aligned that, you know, once you start talking about one, you start talking about the other. I'm sure as a facialist, you probably have a similar situation where maybe you're talking about a skin concern or you're talking about XYZ, and then all of a sudden you're talking about these deeper issues. I'm curious how you approach that as somebody who does prioritize these conversations. Yeah. So when I wrote my first book in 2017, it's called Love Your Skin. When I was trying to get my book deal and, okay, so this is what I want to talk about. I wanted to talk about psychodermatology, not like write the whole book on it, but to me, it was such an important part. And I was told not to include it because people wouldn't understand it. And I'm like, people, you know, I've, we're only talking 2017. It's not that long ago, but it still wasn't that widely talked about. Whereas I'm so pleased that even in that short period of time, it is now a much broader open conversation. For example, if I had a new client come to me, I always go through a really detailed consultation. I, it's not just the skincare they're using. What's going on in your life? What are your stress levels like? You know, what's I need to know what what you're doing on a daily basis. Are you working? Are you at home? What's what's that situation? Because I know that can have such a dramatic impact on what is going on with the skin. But also I've just felt as a practitioner, if I wasn't nurturing or supporting that client in a way beyond just the external, there's the element of yes, the results, but I've always felt that responsibility to that emotional hug that goes on as well. So that my clients leave going back to that feeling of beautiful, you know, it's, it is that internal and external. And I know my trickiest skins over the years have often been the lawyers, the accountants, the high stress jobs, or those who have suddenly life has thrown something at them. And that mega stressful situation and, and suddenly they're experiencing a skin condition or whatever. So we should never, ever underestimate the power of stress, hormones and our emotions on what we're seeing visually on someone. 
just so our listeners can understand a little bit more about what psychodermatology is, because, you know, it is something that I do feel like it is bubbling up in the zeitgeist and is much more well-known now, but I do feel like there is some education factors missing. So what do you mean by that? The psychodermatology is basically the psycho part is what's going on in our head, the mind, the stress, everything else, and the dermatology is the external. There is a very well documented, scientifically proven connection between what is going on in our minds and our heads and what is then presenting on the skin. There is a third layer of the psychodermo-gut connection. So I give this as a, an extreme example. If you suddenly had some bad news, like some horrific bad news, we could look at your face and we could literally see the color drain from your skin. That's an immediate, you haven't thought about that. Your mind has had an, uh, just an insane bit of bad news. Your body has reacted. Your hormones have rushed. Your adrenaline has suddenly gone whoosh without that, that split second thought of any of that the blood has literally just rushed from your face and you're into that panic, your heart's beating, your breathing is gone, or you might even feel a bit faint. That's your body's immediate response to something like that. That's a visible response on the, on the skin. I know that's the immediate, but we're often in such extreme, unnatural stressed situations within our bodies that we're constantly running off adrenaline, our cortisol, which is the stress hormone through the roof, which we think, yeah, I'm just hustling. I'm kind of getting through my day. But it's an unnatural stress that the body is under. And the skin is trying to deal with that or it will present on the skin. Our body will actually naturally want our blood flow to go to the internal essential organs because it's in that stressful situation. Oh my goodness, I've got to feed the internal organs as much as possible. And the skin can get a little bit uh, left out from that nutritional flow. Um, and if we think in a really extreme stressful situation, our hair can fall out. That's stress. That's an emotion that's actually made that happen. And there's so many of those examples that you can give that you've not actually thought about it. I could tell you now that, oh my goodness, I could give you a, um, something that would make you feel embarrassed. Maybe, oh my goodness, I can see your boobs. And you might be like, oh, oh my God. And you'd immediately flush within that millisecond. That is an emotion connecting to the visible skin immediately. Yeah. I mean, the the connection that exists there between the brain, the skin, and the gut, that, that axis is just an area of study that I just find endlessly fascinating. And it's something that it's, when you think about it in your own life, like all those examples you just gave, it makes sense. It's like we almost know it to be true. Um, inherently. And so it's so lovely to see all of this research blooming around this concept, because I do think it is kind of this like missing link to us to really understand 
our skin and what's happening with our skin, especially now, like you said, when we're a lot of us are under chronic stress and thus a lot of us are dealing with a lot of chronic skin or gut issues. Because it's interesting, someone who has psoriasis or eczema, they will very openly talk about, yes, I know when I'm stressed, I get a flare-up. So, you know, the doctors acknowledge that as well. So if it's being acknowledged with those medical skin conditions, surely it's true for it happening with other skin conditions as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, earlier we talked about the hands and, you know, how you communicate with your hands or listen through your hands. And I know that facial massage is such a big part of your practice. And and you also, you also teach about how people can give themselves facial massages. I, I want to ask why and how did facial massages become such a cornerstone of your practice and your skin ethos? Good question. Very early on in my career, whether I was doing body massage, because I spent a number of years as a deep tissue practitioner, and I learned lots of different things, Thai, Ayurvedic, and all these other, what would be traditionally thought as body methods. The response that I would get from clients of, that was amazing, or that just felt different. I don't, you know, whatever I was doing with my hands, I would very often get very complimentary responses back. So it just, I suppose, encouraged me on to continue that development. And it came really naturally to me to incorporate those kind of things into my face treatments. And I think because I've trained in so many body methods, the massage, the touch, that was a skill set and a knowledge set that I brought through to the facial work that isn't often the case. Now you might go and learn to become an esthetician, but you might not actually be taught to really work with your hands. And this is one of the things I discuss and train with my rejuvologists is you might have a client who comes to you for a treatment and they love it and they rebook. You might have another client who does and you just never see them again. It might have been something as simple as your quality of touch because I know I've been for treatments, whether it's face or body, and it's almost as if as soon as the practitioner touches you, you're kind of like, here we go. <laughs> Oh, this one's not going to be a good one. We know, we know that. So the quality of touch, even if someone's using a laser on you, actually how they're touching you can revolutionize the experience. And that was just something I seemed to learn very early on. And a number of my YouTube videos, this is now kind of the at-home face massage. I posted my first face massage video five or six years ago. I didn't intend it to go viral. I put it out there because, again, I wanted to help people at home learn some methods that they could then utilize and benefit themselves at home. But a number of them have gone quite viral. And I think my way of approaching it, whether that's within treatment or teaching someone for at home isn't, look what I can do with my hands. Because there's many things that can look 
amazing and clever on social media, but I've always come from the point of view is what, what is this doing therapeutically? What is this benefiting as I'm moving my hands across my face? So again, I think that's a long answer to what you, to what you asked. But I think it sets up kind of this next part of the conversation very well. And what you just said inspired a question, which is when you are giving a massage, whether that be you're giving it to somebody or you are encouraging somebody to do it at home by themselves, why is focusing on the tissue beneath the skin? So like the muscles, why is that so important? Because I do, I think it's a very underrated part of skincare is focusing on the muscles and the lymph system and, you know, the things that exist underneath the skin. I think, I think we forget about them often. I, I don't think that we give them the time and the attention that they deserve. Um, so I'm always, my interests are always peaked when somebody does prioritize that. And so it's like, what, what are the benefits that somebody will get out of if they regularly practice a facial massage? Basically, why? Why is it important to do this? Why are we doing this? That's the fundamentals of this. Yeah. So through face massage, we've got physical benefits and we've got the more holistic hokey pokey benefits. And, you know, I say hokey pokey because we can all take that on whatever level we want to. So the physical benefits is increasing blood flow. So as much as we're thinking of the external skin and massage working deeper, through stimulating blood flow, we're increasing blood flow to the external skin. So we have fresh nutrients coming to that external skin for glow, for cell turnover. We know a skin that the cell turnover is active, it's going to look better. We've then got the underlying muscles, as you said, but the muscles are connected to fascia, the lymphatic system. Um, you know, so it's all intrinsically connected. And muscles are, if we're thinking of facially, are kind of what make us move around. So if we're thinking of lines and wrinkles, we all know if we go along frowning all the time, we are going to create wrinkles. It's muscles underneath that are making the frown. Or if we're smiling, they're all making movements. So if we can work on softening up and easing the muscles, it's not going to get rid of wrinkles. I think this is another key thing with face massage. There are many people out there making claims that are just not true. It's not going to stimulate collagen production. We need to get real also with that. But, but if we can soften up and ease some of that muscle tension, we are naturally going to look softer, happier, more approachable. Um, if our muscles are tight, the blood of the lymphatic flow isn't going to be able to flow through as easily. So if our muscles are nice and soft and supple, the skin is naturally going to look brighter because all the fluids can flow more effectively. We've then got the lymphatic system. I went and trained in the VODA method of manual lymphatic drainage, which is for the geeks, those that are obsessed with lymph. 
And it's a much more delicate way of working with the lymphatic system. But it is so essential for glowing, radiant skin, but also the knock-on to our all-over health. But we've then got the fascia system, which I think the conversation now around fascia I think I even, you know, recently I, there was something I read in the in the papers about fascia. Like, oh, you know, as practitioners, we've known about this for years. Fascia is one of those magical flat sheets of tissue that wrap around a bit like an internal body stocking, all of our internal organs. And yes, we can work on the skin and the blood and the lymph and the muscle, but the fascia is one of those things that will hold muscles actually in the wrong position that if we don't work on the fascia, we're not going to get the long-lasting results we want. And there is some fascinating studies now around fascia release and emotional well-being and mental health, which really is fascinating. There's some studies, I can't recall the specific studies, I've got them on some documents somewhere way back when, that... They did some studies on face massage and let's just say kind of like traditional face massage and they'd got certain markers that were being tested, you know, looking, emotional well-being being the two top markers. So there was traditional massage, a slightly deeper form of massage and then massage with fascia. And you've got a deeper rejuvenation as you kind of went through the different methods, but the most outstanding shift was the prolonged benefit to someone's emotional well-being. And there's more studies coming out about that, which is is just insanely fascinating. Because I've always said that massage, yes, we get that physical rejuvenation, but we can totally go so much deeper into that emotional well-being as well. And it is that little bit of magic that is a bit undescribable, but there are now some scientific studies going on in that area. It's one of those things that I think we know inherently, like we're born with this knowledge. And then it's just so interesting to see the research support these ideas because massage, when you get like a very specific type of massage, I, I remember I had a massage probably like two years ago and it was kind of an intense massage, but I just remember this incredible sense of release afterwards, like to the point where it, it affected my day, like my, and how I went about the rest of the day. I felt different. It felt like there was something that had like changed in my muscles almost. And I do think you can just chalk that up to a placebo effect, but I do think there is something deeper there. And I think, and, and hearing that there's research coming to kind of support that idea, I think is really fascinating. And I think it's really exciting. It is. So interestingly, there's a touch research center somewhere in America. And I learned about that and this emotional connection years ago when I was studying baby massage. So way back when, I used to teach mums how to massage the babies. And I used to also teach partners how to massage their pregnant partners during labour. And there's an amazing old book. I think it's called something, The Power of Touch or something. And there's, there's studies there that actually things like in orphanages, the children that hadn't been 
physically touch didn't emotionally develop in the same way. So there's, there's so many studies and bits and pieces even that were kind of being done way back when, but I suppose it wasn't being brought into the facialist aesthetic kind of arena. It was on a different level. So it, it is, it's one of those things. It's a bit like the psychodermatology that eventually, hopefully, it all starts filtering through. There's an amazing piece of machinery, which is called LPG. I know you guys have got it over there as well. Um, it's a man, it's a machine, it's a device you might get in a clinic or a machine, and it's a manual massage method. And the science behind it, and the guy who developed this, he was a physiotherapist. Anyway, it's got quite a big following for glimming, tightening. I don't go to it for that. I go to it because I know it eases my muscle tension and I come out of it feeling different. That next week, I feel better, calmer, just there's something magical and they're working on lymph and fascia. It's just fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I want to give um, our listeners at home just some quick basics for doing facial massage on themselves at home. Obviously, you know, I, I encourage everybody to listening to to check out Abigail's videos. I'll make sure to link them in the show notes. That way, you can watch them and get a visual cue. But just so just so people have some basics for at home, you know, how how often are you encouraging people? to do at-home facial massage. Is this something that people are doing every night? Is it like a weekly thing? Is there a guideline that you follow? Yeah. So as with, if you were going to go to the gym, you wouldn't expect to go once a month and get a result. So when we're working with muscles and tissue, we need to think along those lines that actually if we can get into a regular routine of something, definitely on a weekly basis, Definitely, if we could make it every other night, something like that, you are going to get a better result than not. I think it's important to find a time of day that works for you. I personally can fit face massaging easier when I wake up in the morning. So I will massage my face with an oil before I cleanse my face at the beginning of the day. I think also, as we get older, you realize that your face needs a bit of a sorting out after a night's sleep that face massage can absolutely do. So if that time of day works better for you, because I know so many people at the end of the day, they're like, I literally just want to cleanse my face and get into bed. Well, let's find a time that works for you. I would rather someone did three to five minutes daily than once a week for 20 minutes okay and if someone wants to do more i'm gonna do a um um what's the word i'm looking for i've got to plug my book which came out uh, yeah because there's a lot of disinformation in my book it's called the glow plan it's a four-week plan to aging well and there is a whole load of massage skills in there that you can learn and build up over a full week process. So possibly a lot of questions that we might not have covered, you will find in there, go, oh yeah, that's what I should be doing. So I apologize, but, but I thought well, listeners would definitely 
want to hear and learn some of those other bits and pieces that I know I'm not going to have time to mention now. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy you brought it up. Uh, we want to give our listeners as many resources as possible, right? Okay, so I want to, as we're kind of you know nearing nearing the end of the conversation, I I do have a f- few more skincare questions to ask you. Um, I I always love hearing about biggest mistakes and then fixes, right? So like you have clients coming in all the time. What are some of the biggest skincare mistakes that you are seeing? And then how do you correct that that habit for them? Or how do you help them correct that habit? Yeah. So there's a few and I'm smiling because, for example, a client of mine, she's been with me for years. And every time she's coming in, she's just coming, my skin's just still dry. And we go through our home care routine. And I think it took three years for her to actually admit and acknowledge that she wasn't moisturizing. (laughs) I was like, we've been having this conversation for three years. (laughs) So that is one example, maybe a bit extreme. I think either not using enough products in your routine, so thinking that you can cleanse and moisturize, and that's all you need. If you want results, that's not all you need. You do need a serum. You do need an SPF. You might need a different serum in your nighttime routine. But also on the opposite end of the scale, too many products in your routine. So there's a real balance, and everything is there as if you'd look at your food on a plate different nutritional values. I need something to moisturize. I need something to boost cell turnover. I need something maybe to support with some pigment. You need to see it as a plate of food for those different products and different ingredients that make up your complete routine. Okay. I love that tip. Look at it as a plate of food. Because I I feel like I get the question a lot, what is the one ingredient I need? Or what is the one thing I need? And I always answer, I'm like, that's an impossible question to answer because there is no one thing in the same way that you wouldn't ask a nutritionist, like, what is the one food I need to eat? It's a bigger picture than that. It absolutely is. Because I think often people say, oh, you need a retinol. If you just, actually, I barely use retinol. I actually, there's other key things that are doing some amazing things. So you're absolutely right. I do, and I can recall two clients who are currently with me at the moment. I can only get them to use one cleanser, as in, that is their skincare routine. And I'm like, okay, let's just be real what we can achieve here, you know, and as long as you know that, okay. Um, So we definitely need to be more than just a cleanser. Okay, well, let's talk about how you take care of yourself. I think an easy place to start is your skincare routine. Sure. I cleanse every morning. I will either use a cream cleanser or a really gentle wash, but a specific wash. Am I allowed to mention brands? Please. Oh, yeah. I love brand recommendations. Okay. So I love a cream cleanser from a range called Dermavigils really quirky range. You can't find them necessarily on the high street. They're more of an aesthetician brand, really quirky, but oh my goodness, they're they're amazing. IS Clinical, which it sounds 
clinical and it is clinical, but they are plant-based. They've not got the nasties in. They've got a number of products which are oncology friendly. So their cleansing wash, those are my two go-to cleansers. So I will use one of those in the morning. Every single day, we'll put a vitamin C serum on without fail. Currently loving Iostinical Super Serum. There's an amazing range called Revision. I'm also loving theirs as well. If I'm going to put an eye product on, I will do that in the day. Then I will put a moisturizer on. I personally like really dewy, hydrating. I want to look like I've got water on my face. You know, I like that that kind of dewiness. Uh, there's a range I'm loving called Igne at the moment. They've got some, you know, I love their kind of textures that they've got. And always an SPS. So that's, I cleanse, vitamin C, maybe an eye, moisturize, SPF, morning routine. Evening, cleanse with either of those that I've mentioned. I will put a different serum on. It might be a retinoid, not a retinol. So like a, a, a retinol, which is gentler, or maybe a pigment-based serum. I will usually use an oil at nighttime. I'm not a fan of heavy night creams. I know that's what we've been brought up around, but the skin doesn't actually need loads of layers and heaviness. I personally find I'm going to break out if I put heavy night products on. If I put an eye cream on at nighttime, I literally wake up and look like I've been punched in the face. And I, I know many people are the same. So I always kind of suggest playing around with the eye products. And that's my night routine. I, I keep it really simple. I will at least once a month do a peel on my own skin. I use professional peels, possibly like you might do, you know, your mask at home. I'm kind of there, you know, with a with a, a crazy peel on my face. But I kind of, I know how to push my own skin because it, it's kind of what I do. And then I do love a piece of technology. I will do a little bit of needling. From a treatment point of view, I love radio frequency, a bit of high food. So I kind of play. I'm not obsessive. I don't have time to, but those are some of the texts that I like to include on my own face. Okay. And then uh, how do you take care of yourself as a whole? Obviously, we know that all of these systems are interconnected. Um, and I, I always allow the guests to kind of interpret this question as as they would like, because everyone's definition of wellness is different. What are your well-being priorities, basically? I kind of gave a nod to it earlier in, in our chat that mental health, I know I have to prioritize. When that fails, everything else goes. I have found, and I know it sounds with a cliche, I journal every morning, but it's not just a case of yesterday was lovely. This is what I'm doing today. You know, I ask some specific kind of questions. How do I want to show up today? If today has been a great day, what would I have done? Who could I reach out to today so it would change their day? You know, some specific questions. And I just find allowing myself that time at the beginning of the day to set myself up has been life-changing. So well-being and wellness to me, particularly over this past, I'm going to say three to four years, physically, I've had so many aches and pains and stuff that has meant 
I couldn't physically do any fitness for eight months. So you have to show up for yourself in a different day, in a different way. So being physically active, whereas before I would have loved to have just kind of stacked it out in the gym, and I hope I get back to that. But just some physical activity, getting outside, you have to allow yourself sometimes that simplicity and that becomes the wellness. You're absolutely right. And I I think it's an important lesson to pay attention to your body as it goes through different moments in life. And not every phase of your life needs the same modalities or the same habits. I think sometimes people can get a little stuck in their ways and they think that they need to be doing something in order to be quote unquote healthy. And that's that's just not the reality of life. It's not. And for me, health was always a visual. I was always slim. I was always toned. I was always firm. I was always that person. I ain't that person anymore. <laughs> and, you know, doing, doing an early menopause and that kind of stuff, you, you have to really listen into a, a kindness to yourself. And not beating yourself up that you don't look the same as you did even five years ago or even last year. So wellness, there's a kind a self-kindness that that has to come with that. And wellness comes in, you know, many shapes and sizes. Well, I think that's a lovely note to end on. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. I really loved this conversation. Just your insights were so lovely and so thoughtful. And it's so clear that you care so deeply about what you do. And I just, I love speaking to, to people like that. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I've loved this chat. Anytime. I'm always here for good chat. Fabulous. I'll have you on again. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For more beauty content from the team at MindBuddyGreen, you can always read along with our content at mindbuddygreen.com, follow us on social media, and of course, tune into next week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you ever want to reach out with questions or insights or thoughts, you can find me on Instagram at Alex underscore Blair underscore. Thanks so much for your time.